Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a Japanese and native Hawaiian writer from Honolulu, Hawaii. Her fiction has been featured in Granta, Conjunctions, Joyland, and elsewhere. She's been a finalist for the Keen Prize for Literature and has received support from the Rona Draft Foundation and the Breadloaf Writers Conference. She received her MFA from the Mishner Center for Writers, where she was a fiction fellow. She currently lives in Honolulu. Her debut short story collection, Every Drop is a Man's Nightmare, is out now. Please welcome Megan Kamalei Kakimoto. Hi, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm super happy to be here. So thank you oh, for having me. I am super excited for you to be here. Uh, before we were recording, we were talking about time zones and like it's early for you. So I really appreciate that you woke up and decided to talk to me today. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the beautiful. So this uh, is great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm a big fan of your story collection. Um, tell readers a little bit about, and then we'll jump into a long conversation, but tell readers about what Every Drop is a Man's Nightmare is about from your perspective. Yeah. So Every Drop is a Man's Nightmare is a collection of 11 stories, um, sort of all of which are exploring girlhood and womanhood um, in contemporary Hawaii. Uh, with a bit of a speculative bent. So a lot of the stories are sort of grounded in some of the local superstitions um, that I grew up um, hearing about, um, being told from family, um, friends, and sort of how these superstitions start to really impress themselves on the lives of the characters um, in the tales. For sure. And I'm always fascinated with short stories just about like piecing it together or collections, piecing it together, pacing what story comes first. And and I'll dive into that. But like, uh, I'm curious, like the timeline of the earliest story in this to the most recent one, just like when you wrote it, how, how it all got pieced together from a, like a writing perspective. Yeah. So the first, so yeah, the first story was actually, it's titled Temporary Dwellers. Um, and I, wrote that story in, I want to say 2015 or 2016. Mm. Um, and I, I I think about that story a lot because I it almost didn't make it into the collection. Um, it was sort of that really critical story for me that afforded me the chance to explore writing about Hawaii and about Hawaiian culture. Um, so I'm Native Hawaiian and Japanese and um, for I was writing pretty much for as long as I can remember, but I had a long period of time, especially during undergrad and sort of the years following undergrad of really resisting writing about Hawaii and being really scared um, to write about not only Hawaii, but my Hawaiian culture as well. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in a lot of really kind of bad stories, bad first stories, bad first drafts. Um, and I was mostly just worried about wanting to get the my culture right and sort of the stories of our people right. Um, and that I was seeing was putting a lot of pressure on a lot of these stories when they were still in their infancy. And with Temporary Dwellers, that story um, 
really came to me through the characters and the two girls um, in particular, um, the unnamed protagonist and her love interest. And um, I was, I felt so invested in them and their lives that I kind of pushed past the fear in that draft, in the drafting period of that story to just at least see it through to a complete draft Mm -hmm. and then to step away from it um, to take that time and then try to re-see it again in revisions. But it was the first story that I wrote that I felt really excited to be trying to write about Hawaii. And that kind of had a big impact for me in terms of the the stories that came after. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I had a little bit of fear including it in the collection originally because it was it had such a, I guess, maybe an emotional, um, I had an emotional tie to it in that way. And I wasn't sure if it was ready. I didn't know how, how it, how it made sense in, in the collection. And, um, I had a lot of conversations with my agent, um, Eva Lenny, and she really helped shape that story, um, again, through revisions into what mm. it is today. Yeah, and I'm curious. So you mentioned 2015. Uh, the story itself was then published in 2019 in uh, mm-hmm. Qlit, mm-hmm. Uh, the Queen's Literary Magazine. Um, how different is it from 2015 to 2019 to this collection? I feel like it's. I feel like it's fairly different. Like I think maybe. Um, again, I might be just very close to it, but <laughs> to have any sort of discernment there. But I feel like it is. Uh, it feels like a different story because I I think um, it has a special place in my heart because that was also the very first story that I ever got published mm-hmm. and the first story that someone said yes to. Um, but I I think that you know from from it being published in 2019 um, to the time I spent working on it um, in in 2020 and 2021, um, I think that maybe just clarifying certain pieces of that piece that felt I'll just say I have a tendency to overwrite <laughs> um as as a writer and I think a lot of what the work that I do in revisions is paring down sort of compression and also trying to pull out those threads um that feel most like at the heart of the piece and I mm-hmm. think that that work really happened in the revision um, period between when it was first published to what it is now in the book. Definitely. I love to talk about like overwriting and then paring it down. Um, yeah. What is your approach to when you sit down and obviously you're not just sitting down writing a whole story, but when you're coming up with a story, yeah. What's your approach to how you choose to write it, how you choose to overwrite and then pare it down? Yeah. I think, I think that first step was, was actually just like having that time to recognize like oh I have this thing I overwrite that is Mm -hmm. my um you know that's my challenge I guess and and knowing that I have to um that that's also just part of the process for me um so I think yeah usually when I'll I'll sit down I'll be working if I'm working on a new story um I really have to be like unencumbered by any fear any sort of um pressure of external pressure or personal pressure to get a first draft right or any of that I've realized that's you know kind of detrimental to my process so I think 
having a lot of freedom, a lot of space to play in that first draft and to make a lot of mistakes and to just sort of write into different characters and see whose voice um, really speaks to me is a crucial part of that writing process, that first draft process. And um, yeah, not worrying at all about what what it's going to look like in its final, because I do think so much of so much of the pleasure that I take in writing has to do like with on the sentence level, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I'm enjoying writing sentence by sentence, um, you know, I, I know that I can follow through to a, to the, at least the end of a draft Um, Mm -hmm. and just, yeah, I guess it's just a lot of, uh, it's a long way of saying that I like to just follow the pleasure and follow that impulse, I guess. What usually comes first for you when uh, crafting a story? Is it voice? Is it a nugget of plot? Uh, yeah. I think it tends to vary. Um, it used to be, I would talk about this a lot in a in a way that was actually like tone was really important mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and sort of setting this atmosphere or finding this atmosphere um, for a piece. I felt like that came a lot in a first sentence or a first paragraph um, that I couldn't get out of my head. And sometimes I'd sit with a first sentence or a first paragraph for several weeks. Um, I also will begin sometimes with an image Mm. that feels um, sort of either strange or just off kilter in a way um, and kind of write into that image. Um, And then, yeah, sometimes it's character. I think with temporary dwellers, as an example, um, I felt this dynamic between these two characters that I couldn't shake and Mm -hmm. I wanted to explore it more. Um, So spending that time just writing interactions with the two girls um was a really critical part of sort of beginning that piece definitely and you mentioned you know wanting to you know honor your hawaiian culture and weaving in folklore from the stories you heard growing up when when did that start sort of well sorry when did that sort of become kind of how you were exploring stories like like obviously like your culture and, and wanting to get that history in, but knowing that you could put these folklore twists and turns into the stories. I think it, it came later. Um, mm. It, it probably, you know, I think I, I had about like five, five ish years between undergrad and starting my MFA. Mm. Um, and during that time I was really just, I was reading everything I could get my hands on. Um, I didn't feel like I had a really um, strong writing community here. I had moved back to Hawaii um, from the East Coast and was just trying my best to maintain a writing practice Mm -hmm. um, solo. (laughs) Um, And that was kind of hard. So I just, I found myself just reading so much and and trying to um, sort of stay committed to um to the practice in that way and I read I read a lot of you know 
Kelly Link and Helen Oyeyemi and looking at ways that sort of fairy tales and um, legends and folklore um, are incorporated into fiction and kind of breathe life into stories in a, in a unique way um, was so exciting to me. And I, I don't think I, you know, was, I was reading any of that in undergrad and I wasn't really familiar um, with the ways that mythologies can be um, really honored and also, um, yeah, given this new life uh, in fiction. And I think that was sort of a big inspiration for me to feel like just to have that um, that space to um, really write into. Yeah. And during that time or even before and, and, and after um, like, were there Hawaiian writers that you connected with that you found helpful to read? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, Kiana Davenport was so um, important to me while I was, um, while I was writing and also, and yeah. And also just um, as a reader um, sort of seeing a Hawaiian writer just seeing her prowess on the page and um, you know one of the things that I talk about a lot is this like absence of Native Hawaiian voices in contemporary literature mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's so it can be really frustrating for me because I feel like there are so many incredible not only local writers but also indigenous Hawaiian writers um, who are working in fiction. Um, uh, Christiana Kahakawila is incredible and she has her collection of stories. Um, but a lot of times what we're seeing is, uh, you know, a lot of other fiction that is written about Hawaii or about Hawaiian people, um, but not by, you know, indigenous voices, not by native Hawaiian voices. And I think that was really important for me, um, is important for me, um, to really champion those writers and um, those voices. Um, yeah. It's important to my practice. Yeah. For sure. And then you end up, so the five years between undergrad and MFA, were you thinking of an MFA that entire time or did that kind of come later? Because usually, not usually, there's no usual in literature, <laughs> but you know, it's most of the time it's like undergrad right away in MFA. Uh, yeah. It seems to be like, if you're going to do an MFA, it's, right away or 20 years later, but that mm -hmm. five years, was that on your mind? Like I am going to go to an MFA, I need it, or was it not on your mind at all? It was definitely on my mind like mm -hmm. the whole time. Um, and, and maybe less for just, you know, the sense like I'm going to get an MFA, but, mm -hmm. but I think just something we were talking about in about community and about yeah. writing community, that is so important to me. I've realized. Um, and I, you know, I feel like I had really great, close writer friends in undergrad um, and moving back home was really, it was a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew from the start that I was like, I need to find a way to, to make a community here or I need to, to leave and find a community elsewhere or some kind of combination of both. Um, but, but for, for me, for an MFA, that felt like such a, a natural next step um, that I really wanted to pursue. But I did have, I had in the back of my mind, um, some advice from, um, she was my undergrad advisor. Um, her name was Catherine Tudish. Um, she's a fiction writer. And she had 
always told us that she advises students to try and hold off on pursuing an MFA for a few years after undergrad, um, just her own experience and um, do something else, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, get some sort of job, you know, pursue just anything um, to take a little break. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess I had that in the back of my head. And I, when I moved home, I started um, working at a PR firm um, and I was there for five-ish years um, and it was brutal and I did not like it, um, but it paid the bills. And mm-hmm. I think during that time, I just, it really taught me that I, you have to love doing the work and really have to take pleasure in the work first and foremost. So I spent that time kind of just trying to get as much trying to fight for as much writing time as I could um, Mm -hmm. in a relatively busy industry. And I told myself that I wouldn't, I don't know why this was my benchmark, but I just, I had this idea that I need to get one yes or one publication before I applied for an MFA program because I was sending out stories and sending out stories and there was just never any interest. Um, So I tried to keep on that. I, spent yeah those years just playing around experimenting um trying to see what what was sticking and temporary dwellers um was accepted by Q um and that was the year I think yeah 2019 so I had applied for MFAs like right after I got that acceptance um and I ended up um getting into the Michener Center so I did um, the MFA in 2020 yeah that is wild to me. I, I have, as you were like leading up to the timeline, I was like, I don't think I talked to many writers who were starting and doing their MFA during COVID. Yes. What, uh, what was that like, just from like a community perspective? Then you, yeah. like you were thinking, I'm about to get my community, and then, well, maybe not. So, what, mm-hmm. yeah, what was that like going into that program at that time? It was. It was definitely wild. Um, and. I, yeah, so it it was, I think I took a lot of um, gratitude, had a lot of gratitude in the fact that it was a three-year program. (laughs) Um, I was like, give me all the years in the MFA. But I, yeah, I started it virtually. And I think the whole first year was virtual. And I, uh, we ended up not, we were going to move. And then we ended up not moving. So we stayed here for the first year, uh, me and my partner. And it was at first it was very strange, you know, of course we're all learning, relearning zoom and, um, trying to get to know each other in these tiny squares of, you know, 15, 15 writers. Um, and it turned out to be incredible. Like we kind of got to know each other very quickly. And I think just by spending time with each other's work, um, seeing you know these are some of the most amazing writers I've ever known and and getting to know them on the page and then also off um was absolutely amazing and I feel like we did a really good job of like building community under such strange circumstances you know like having our own little break off zooms and um yeah it, it it worked and I think um you know, after, after that first year, when we moved to Austin, um, a lot of us 
room together and, you know, found different living arrangements where we're all in the same building or, or, you know, in the same neighborhood. And it was, it was really great. And I think that um, we, we were all just, by the time we got there, I think everyone was just grateful to like be together. Um, yeah. Yeah. And did, did it help being home while you were writing about the area as opposed to being in Austin? That's a good question. And I think, I think it did. Um, I might be on, I think I, I hear, you know, a lot of times people say they need that space from the place, right. Mm-hmm. To really be able to explore it fully or um, to have that distance. And I think maybe my experience was a little bit of the opposite um, in that I was finding myself and my stories um about Hawaii when I was here like I was trying when I was on the mainland it was I I just for whatever reason I wasn't um I wasn't allowing myself to explore these Mm -hmm. um these stories and I had that journey here so I think just being able to continue it here um was really helpful and and then even when I moved to Austin I still you know all of the stories that I wrote um, that are in the collection. Um, I wrote a few um, in these later years in like 2019, 2020. Um, but even those when I was in Austin, I was, I felt like I was, I was able to explore them fully, but I had a little bit of, uh, when I was writing them, maybe a little bit of homesickness mm-hmm. um, in a sense. And yeah, being able to be in this space, it's such a special place. And I think that, that, really um came through in that writing process yeah in uh in 2019 i interviewed elizabeth mccracken who was on faculty at michener and and it was for bowl away and part of the conversation we had was about place and like the idea of because uh, i think I'm, I'm if i'm remembering the conversation correctly it was like she had moved around a lot and like that's just like how do you write about place when do you choose to um Anyway, just bringing it full circle because then you studied there at, with her at some point. Um, yes, we love Elizabeth. <laughs> iconic writer. Everything yep. she brings out uh, is just iconic. Um, what, what was, other than like the the community with at Michener, what was it like working with people like Elizabeth and all the other faculty? Uh, what did you pull out of the program? Yeah, I had to, oh, I had to really like tamper my starstruckness honestly I think just I I'd never been in that sort of setting of 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 working with such incredible writers and I was just talking to someone about how you know I don't I feel like me and this friend we're not really the kind of people to get starstruck over Mm -hmm. celebrities and things maybe musicians um but we also we we have some big starstruck moments um, when it comes to writers, <laughs> and um, that hasn't really faded for me. But I think yeah, just you know Elizabeth um, Brett Anthony Johnson is, is the director of the Michener program. He's an incredible writer and an incredible mm-hmm. mentor. Um, Molly Antipol was my first um, fiction workshop instructor on Zoom, and she made it so pleasurable and just so um yeah I took so much out of her her class but I think learning how to 
talk about fiction um, and learning how to look at a work and pick out what's really working for for you or for sorry yeah. for me yeah. um I feel like was so instrumental in, in especially in those few years in those first few years um because I don't think I had that sort of you know I pursued English and creative writing in undergrad but I I never really had uh such an in-depth experience um in creative writing and that was just I think it was really instrumental in seeing the stories that came out of the program my stories take shape um and just yeah learning how to be a really uh generous literary citizen um I think that's everyone at the Michener Center um at the New Writers Project that's UT's um sister MFA uh they are all so thoughtful and so generous with their time. And I think that that was a real standout for me um, about both programs. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just curious. So 2019, 2021 roughly is when you finished the MFA program. 20- uh, I finished, was it just, um, so actually I started in 2020. Oh, okay. Um, got it. So, so I finished um, in April of this oh, year. Well, congr- yes, yeah. so congratulations. <laughs> Thank so you. So you sold... You, you agented, you sold like during your final year then, right? Because timeline, yes. yeah. Yeah, actually, I think it was, yeah, I think it was the second, or it was the spring semester of year two, I believe. Yeah. And what was that process like while being in an MFA, while maybe not having an entire collection of short stories done? Um, It was, it was honestly a really lovely process. Um, I... I think a lot of that has to do with my agent, Eva Lenny. Um, she, she's, um, she's a Hawaii native as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I think we just work really well together. And she had found me on Twitter, I believe. And um, we, we worked together for maybe six months, I want to say on the stories and it both individual stories as well as like the looking at the collection as a whole um but we were yeah we were she was a really strong editorial partner in that way um and I think that the time we spent working on the stories really helped build my own confidence in the work and also you know helped to clarify some of my vision around it as a collection as a whole Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was about six months and then going out on submission was also really lovely. It 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 felt very um fast for me. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it to um it, it felt like a very compressed period of time. But I think it also felt pretty surreal, you know. Wow. I I uh I I remember being in Austin during that time and I was doing a lot of traveling between here and Hawaii and then Santa Cruz where my partner was. And um, so that it was pretty much a whirlwind experience, but I think I felt really fortunate to have been working with the people that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I felt a lot of support from the writers at Michener um, and the new writers project. So being able to do that while in this community of writers at um at my MFA felt um, like a really 
kind of special experience. Yeah, that's rad. Yeah. And and speaking of like making it a collection, um, the one thing I'll focus on and ask about is like, how do you decide that every drop is a man's nightmare is like the title collection, title story? That's a great question. Um, I I always feel really um I feel like I'm not great at writing titles. <laughs> titles <laughs> always are always the thing that come to me last. Um, I'll change them like five times um throughout the process uh I think originally we were thinking of the collection actually um as um a catalog of Kanaka superstitions which is the opening um sort of lyrical refrain of don'ts and it kind of previews a lot of the superstitions that um will come up in the stories that follow and I think we're getting feedback about maybe that that word catalog having a little bit of like an academic bent or yeah, or yeah. impression and um we were looking back at the stories that i had written and i think every drop it felt it felt like a really every drop is a man's nightmare felt like kind of a bold choice um yeah. i had a lot of fears associated with um you know kind of wondering what people would think um if it would be off-putting to anyone and then I had to you know swallow those fears and um really go with my gut and I think that that story in particular feels it felt like the mother story to me like it felt like it it encompasses so much of what I saw the collection being you know and exploring um girlhood exploring menstruation um, looking at the way that a Hawaiian family operates in Hawaii, um, I felt like it had everything um, that I that I was hoping um, for the out of the entire collection. So we we went with that title, yeah. and I was very happy that you know my editor Callie um, at Bloomsbury loved it as well and we had a lot of support there so um that felt really good yeah it is yeah it's a great story i was just rereading it prior to this uh because i was like i might as well reread one short of the <laughs> stories um i was recently doing an interview with uh kyle dylan hertz and he was just like oh who are you interviewing upcoming and i was saying you and then i just kept calling your book um every man is a teardrop which has obviously nothing to do with the actual but i i'm notorious i have like the worst memory like people ask me what i'm reading and i'm like i i have to look at my notes i cannot yeah. remember but i was like every man is a teardrop i feel like that's like a cold play song or something at this point that's um, so good um, but I was, anyway but yes uh every drop is a man's nightmare killer story killer collection overall um yeah, I'm I'm really blown away with it. This is just the part of the podcast where I just gush about how much I love your work. So, Thank um, you. yeah, of course. And then I'll wrap up with, um, what have you been reading? What's on your radar? What are you enjoying, or maybe watching or listening to music? Because you brought up music. Like, what's what's going on in Megan's world? Mm. So, yes. So reading, I I have been spending well. I loved The Sorrows of Others by Ada Zhang. I think it mm. came in May. Yeah. Um, and I am a I'm a big rereader, so I like to and, and I, I don't I don't need like a lot of space from books in order to reread them. Um so those stories I kind of find myself returning to again and again. I think she's incredible. Um 
And I also just got a copy of Tomb Sweeping by Alexandra Chang, her new mm-hmm. collection. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, and um, right now I'm working on sort of revisiting my novel draft and I'm really interested in sort of big novels that are also really attuned to the sentence at mm. the sentence level. Um, so right now I'm reading America was hard to find by Kathleen Alcott. Mm-hmm. And that book is blowing my mind. Um, I'm really, really just in awe of, of her ability of her sentence making abilities. Um, and then I don't know what I'm listening to right now. <laughs> That's no, I just put you on the spot question. with that. Yeah. I'm watching a lot of reality television. <laughs> oh, that as could a, be a whole nother podcast. I want to have a yeah. podcast with authors about watching reality TV because I feel like that's like a gold mine of like inspiration. Oh, I would, lo- I would line up for that podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, trust me. I have, we, this is going to happen eventually. Yeah. Reality <laughs> TV is like, I, I, it's not even a guilty pleasure anymore. No. I refuse to call it that. It's my favorite. One of my favorite things on the planet is reality. Thank TV. you. I appreciate that. What, uh, what reality TV is like currently like your top obsession? <laughs> I it was Vanderpump for so long, right? It had to be, yes. It had course. to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stand- standalone. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, trying to, to separate myself from that a little bit, it was getting pretty obsessive. So mm-hmm. I'm just rewatching old um house, uh, New Jersey, Real Housewives in New oh, Jersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, awesome. uh my partner Kelly and I, like from March when Scandaval broke to a month ago i feel like it was like a new COVID. like we didn't whenever we went out it would be we'd be talking about it it was all we talked about we rewatched the entire series like during that time it was like i was like man we gotta take a break this is like not healthy <laughs> but i can appreciate that yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it well megan thanks so much for talking about Vanderpump Rules briefly, and then of course your book, uh, your short story collection is amazing. Uh, congratulations for with everything. Thank you so much, Adam. I'm so grateful to be talking with you. Thank you so much to Megan Kamalai Kakimoto for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut short story collection, Every Drop is a Man's Nightmare. You can follow her on MeganKakimoto.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Megan Kakimoto. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>